2: you are listening to missed apex podcast we live at one welcome to missed apex podcast this episode is called goodbye and thanks for all the memes i'm your host richard spanners ready and i'm joined by chris rainbow sparkle stevens how's it going chris
3: It's going great, Spanners. I'm really going to miss all those memes that Fernando has given us. I thought the summer break in F1 was supposed to be quiet. Normally, we're scrabbling
2: around and we're not talking about news. We're going, what kind of theme can we do? This is when we call in Chris
3: Catman Stevens for one of his terrible quizzes. Yeah, and usually you kind of save up uh, content to to filter out over the next four weeks. We certainly haven't been short of content this time around, have we? No,
2: we haven't. We could do one of those god-awful retro race reviews soon if we run out of news, but it's unlikely that we will do so. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. We're also joined by Matt To Rumpets, producer of Awful GP Retro Reviews. How's it going, Matt? Ah, yes. Delightfully awful. Enjoyably awful. No, I've I've actually had requests recently, quite a few email requests saying, hey,
0: where are more of the historical race reviews? Well, I tell you what, as soon as I can actually find Anil, we will do another one.
2: Excellent. We're also joined
1: by Jake Sanson. How's it going, Jake? I haven't seen you for an hour. Yeah, about an hour. (laughs) I'm going very well. Thank you very much for inviting me onto the Miss Apex podcast. I know I ruin it every time I come on, so thank you for allowing me another chance to redeem myself. That's okay,
2: man. I've been ruining your commentary for about 12 hours at Daytona DMAX. so I figure it evens out. Chris, I've been very busy lately, so you've been kind enough to put together a new show. You are, after all, an F1 journalist, so it shouldn't be too hard for you. So why don't you tell me what is? Big Dirty News. Basically, everything is big, dirty news. Where do you want to start?
3: Uh, well, I don't know if you guys have heard, but uh, <laughs> this, this guy, this Spanish guy, his name's Fernando Alonso. I don't know if you've heard of him, um, but he's going to be not racing in F1. It's like a big deal, apparently. People are like it, going, what nope. happened? Well, let's talk about the reasons, because there are several, and Fernando has made public comments that I think everyone disagrees with. All right.
2: Fantastic. Okay, Chris, let's start with then. Why is Fernando Alonso not retiring, not retiring from F1. Why is Fernando Alonso not racing in Formula 1 in 2019?
3: Well, he says that the sport has become too predictable, which I I think we'd all agree he wouldn't be saying that if he was driving a Mercedes or a Ferrari at the moment.
2: Yeah, and he actually gave that reason in an interview. He says, oh, it's too predictable. In fact, he even cited that in 2004 or he named lots of years and said it was more unpredictable but one of the years that he mentioned Michael Schumacher won 13 out of 16 races and won the
3: title by August well that specific comment was a little bit misinterpreted because he was talking about his own personal season rather than kind of as a, a whole um but i i do kind of see what he uh, what he means um by that but at the same time you know i do have to disagree You know, F1 was not brilliant 15 years ago and it's not perfect now, but I think it's a a bit better. And he's racing in the World Endurance Championship where his only real competition are his teammates. Uh, So I find that to be a a little bit um, rich, but, you know, it is basically because his talents are wasted in Formula One at the moment with the car he's driving. So let me ask Matt Trumpets then. He's saying that
2: the reasons are that F1 is predictable, and he even specifically said, I can tell you what's going to happen in Spa and Monza. Really? I don't think F1's been more unpredictable in the hybrid era. I couldn't start to tell you which team is going to turn up with the faster car in Spa or Monza, and I bet if we did a straw poll amongst all the top commentators and journalists, it would be 50-50 between Ferrari and Mercedes, and at least half of us would be wrong.
0: Well, let's start with the most obvious argument, which is for the most part, he probably couldn't even predict whether or not his teammate will actually finish or not due to mechanical reasons. So I think unpredictability, you just got to chuck it right out the window. But yeah, Ferrari, Mercedes are uh, in a gargantuan battle to win the Constructors' Championship. The Drivers' Championship will almost certainly come down to either Lewis or Vettel. And since none of those questions are settled, Uh, Then then only only if he predicts, oh, someone in a car will win the race. You know, yeah, you got me there. That's predictable. Otherwise, I think what he's complaining about is the predictable thing is that he will not be winning a race anytime soon with the team he has been forced to sign with. And I'm not sure exactly whose fault it is that nobody else will take him.
1: It's very strange to consider that we're talking about a guy who's won two world championships hasn't won a world title for 12 years because of, the various choices he has made. This is what we're talking about here. Effectively, You're, you know, this is a guy who is clearly able to win these races, but nobody wants to work with him. He's very lucky that McLaren even want to keep him on side. The reason they want to keep him on side is because he's a big name. Now, if you actually tried to get, you know, in the height of his fame, nobody wanted to work with Nigel Mansell because he was a whinger and he was a whiner. Fernando Alonso is. The new Nigel Mansour. He just whinges and whines and nobody wants to work with him.
2: Let's address something from the live chat. And hello, live chat. You can join in by going to YouTube and searching for Missed Apex podcast. Uh, Elfwald says, ah, instead of the usual Hamilton fest with passive uh, Alonso hate, I think they're saying replace with passive Alonzo hate. They're letting the Alonzo hate flow in force tonight. Embrace the dark side. Firstly, the only Hamilton Fest stuff is me saying I'm a Hamilton fan. You might notice that we don't actually dwell on Lewis Hamilton that much. I don't think we've ever done a segment of news where we've gone, let's talk about how brilliant Lewis Hamilton is and why he's so brilliant. However, uh, I don't think this is Alonso. Hey, I think we all universally agree that Alonso is one of the top talents of the last 15 years. Anyone on the panel disagree with that? No. So we're not we're not slating him. But he has wasted a
3: potential because he's only won two World Championship titles, Chris. Yeah, and it's crazy to think that, isn't it, really? And uh, there are several, several reasons for why that has been uh, the case. And a lot of it has come down to the fact that he's made a lot of the wrong choices at uh, the wrong times. Uh, I mean, he it left uh, Renault for McLaren at the right time, but ended up with uh, a, a, a teammate that he did not expect to have competition from, for example.
0: Right. And in the chat room, Russell Coburn makes the rather excellent point that if we're going to talk about whose fault that is, it's not just necessarily Alonso's fault. There's also a certain extravagant Italian, Flavio Briatore, who has been banished from the sport forever and more or less rightfully so, as far as I'm concerned, who is still very much hooked up with Alonso and has been, quote unquote, I guess, guiding him this whole time.
1: It's a very good point because let's be fair, Briatore might have been the man who gave Michael Schumacher his two world titles. But the second he joined Ferrari, he dropped Briatore like a lead brick. You know, he didn't want anything more to do with him. And ever since then, Briatore has basically got a long reputation of having killed the careers of various racing drivers. Alesi, Berger. Uh, obviously, you could argue they're probably on the way to doing that themselves, but Alonso. Weber still hanging on in there, managing Weber despite him being a Red Bull driver. Uh, Truly, You know, all these guys, basically, Briatori has tainted th- these particular racing drivers. And uh, fair play. Alonso, just really a-, a bit like Hamilton, has never really learned how to look after himself without causing enemies.
3: Sparkles. But Fernando himself is responsible for the worst decision he ever made, which was to leave Ferrari at the end of 2014 and to go to McLaren because he did not believe in a post-Demontezemolo Ferrari just when they started to come good. And who knows, he could be leading this year's championship had he not made that decision. It's worse than that, though, isn't it, Jake? It's worse than
2: that. He would have probably won the 2017 World Championship that Sebastian Vettel tried his best to throw away. And on top of that, yes, he would probably be not in the wall in the German Grand Prix and leading this year's World Championship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think he probably would have won last year's championship in the same vehicle as Vettel, and he would be leading this year's championship. It it's startling that Fernando Alonso seems to get cold feet the second anything isn't quite going his way, but he has no longevity. He basically wants everything to be right now and everything be okay. I mean, you could argue yes, he spent four years at Ferrari and didn't get a world title out of it, but I think you'll find that Schumacher had to wait five years for his first title before everything was perfect. Uh, several others have waited a long time for those opportunities to come along. And, you know, they've had to work at it. Button had to spend nine years of failing before he got it all together. Alonso just doesn't have any patience. He's got no staying power.
2: Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that universally everybody says that it is Alonso's fault. And uh, I think Joe Saywood tweeted that he's a team wrecker, which is a shame, Chris, because as a personality He's kind of exactly what we want. He's been, he's fast to start with. He's aggressive. He is charismatic. He says what he thinks in every way, shape or form. He's the Formula One hero that we've wanted and, and we've had him. So, you know, we're not just slating him. The reason we're being so harsh about his career choices is that we expected so much more of him. Like no one's really sat there complaining going, Oh, Barrichello, he could have been a four time world champion. We're just not bothered. We let that drift away. With Alonso, we're going, that's ah, a real, that could have been something special.
3: Yeah, great for the fans, great for the sport in general and the spectacle, nightmare for the teams. I mean, he was quoted as being uh, chaotic uh, by uh, Red Bull, I, I think it was, and that's why they're not going to take him on board. And I can understand why he has a, a sort of lack of patience. And when we talk about why he could have done so much more, 11 more points in his career would give him five world titles. He so narrowly missed them, missed out in 2007, 2010, and 2012. And all those are titles you would have said he probably should have won and were expected to have won. Well, hang on a minute. 2007, he lost to a rookie. So that's kind of his fault. He, he let that situation uh, get to him. He handled that absolutely appallingly. And he destroyed the team he was in around him and lost the championship by one point because of it
2: now even though i've heard from jake for 12 hours and in about seven hours of commentary i've got precisely seven sentences in
1: let's hear from him again Do you know what i find it hilarious that 12 months after fernando alonso told the press at the italian grand prix at monza that he didn't feel like formula one was a sport because he got bulked by massa in qualifying 12 months later, he was the architect of one of the biggest Formula One scandals in history, the way that he turned on his teammate because he was not quite as slow as he wanted it to be. Alonso is such a flaming hypocrite, unfortunately. And this is one of the things I really can't tolerate with him in the fact that he's there at McLaren going, well, Formula One's boring and predictable. It's not really good. It's not because we don't know from one race to the next whether Vettel's going to win or Hamilton's going to win. Okay, wait, 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 wait,
2: wait, Jake, Jake, let's let's be fair alonso is somebody who's been in the public eye if you or i were in the public eye that long time makes hypocrites of us all does it not
1: yeah it does but at the end of the day fernando alonso is supposed to be one of the archetypal role models and legends of the modern era and he just handles himself like a spoiled child most of the time i mean he's arguing that you know i'm leaving f1 because it's too predictable What are you doing in WEC? Oh, yes, that's right. You're in the only manufacturer team with the best equipment, the best car, and nobody can challenge you. You've won three races in the row now. Yeah, that's not predictable in the slightest, is it, Fernando? Well, Trumpets, that
2: segues us nicely onto what is Fernando Alonso doing next?
0: Well, Well, amongst other things, he's doing WEC for Toyota. And I would just point out to Jake that uh, given Toyota's inability to win some races where they did have competition... That may or may not be as an assured thing as you're you're wanting to make it out. He's also been rumored to be uh, looking very seriously at an IndyCar drive, although there's not I don't have any kind con- independent confirmation of a specific team just yet. But before we go on, I want to chuck in uh, Andy Whitney's comment that a grid full of Alonzos would be epic, and pose the challenging question to the rest of you who were paying attention back in 2007. Was that the genesis of Alonzo is difficult uh, reputation that has followed him to this very day? Or did he already indeed possess that? I, this was a question I wanted to spend some time looking into, but I was rather sadly forced to spend time bodyboarding at the beach and drinking gin and tonics all day.
3: Chris? Uh, just on the IndyCar uh, thing, he has got a test lined up uh, in the next couple of months, I think it is. Um, so we don't know which team uh, it will be uh, just yet. Yeah, but I am fully expecting him to go for a full on IndyCar assault uh, next year. And that 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 question from the chat room is a real interesting. I think Fernando's always been uh, like that. You know, he's always known how to make... Uh, a, Situation benefit him, or at least you know, work out how to. Sometimes it's blown up in his face a little bit, but he is not a team player. Really, he goes out for him for himself, and he is. Ironically, though, he is one of the team's best assets. So there's a a slight catch twenty two of that one.
2: So Matt asks an interesting question about the genesis of his reputation. Now, as a team wrecker, it's kind of like if you have a friend and they have an affair with a married person, and that person leaves their spouse to be with them, you are not then overly surprised if that person then also cheats on them and moves on. That's just, you know, that's a recurring thing that happens over and over again. doesn't mean it's always going to happen. But if you are a team that knows that Fernando Alonso took a bunch of your information and shared it with your deadly rivals after you moved on, that makes you very nervous about employing that person in what is a very secretive sport. Matt, I think, I think you might be right that that, that was the start of a bad reputation. And then the revelations about, uh, Crashgate, hard to, to separate yeah. Alonso from that.
0: Yeah, it is. And, and he has been on the edge of disaster several times, uh, with behavior that uh, in hindsight could be described at, Best as dubious, and at worst as just completely amoral, and and so yeah. uh, In that sense, he had already been involved in situations like that before he came to McLaren. But in terms of his reputation with his teammates and stuff like that, I I don't recall hearing anything prior to that about him being that way. But maybe he was. So that's what I'm asking.
1: I think the thing that's going to resonate with me about Fernando Alonso for the rest of eternity is the fact that why on earth did mclaren re-employ him given those circumstances that was lunacy in my opinion because you know they've already proven that he's not a team player so why would you pick on the guy who's obviously ratted you out once before and re-sign him Uh, and secondly the other mad thing about it is you know basically fernando is clearly a guy who has absolutely no interest in anybody but himself and i cannot for any single solitary second, be convinced of the fact that he knew nothing about Crashgate. I, I just cannot think that someone who is that involved in Briatori as a management team, there, there's no way, he'll oh, never okay. admit to it, okay. but there's no way he didn't know about okay. Crashgate. But well, we'll
2: stop you there, and Sparkles, before you continue your point, just to be clear, there is no evidence of a link between Fernando Alonso and Crashgate The event commonly known as Crossgate. Singapore 2008 and Miss Apex is not making any claims that there is any link or evidence. Chris, your point.
3: McLaren had to ask themselves one question. Did they feel lucky? No, they did. (laughs) No, they did not. I mean, coming in with Honda was always going to be a massive risk. And the reason Fernando went for it is because surely Honda and McLaren will become a championship winning force inside three years. That was the original kind of spectrum that they were looking at. And it, uh, again, blew up in their in their faces. And like I said uh, before, that was the worst decision he's made in his uh, career. But just to kind of answer the uh, the McLaren question there.
2: Christopher Fonseca says the crash was obviously Ericsson's fault. Not sure he even started by then. All right, Chris, um, it, it does feel like we were Alonso bashing. We're not. Really, we should be celebrating what an amazing career we've had and what a great character we've had in F1.
3: Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, he is honestly one of the greatest drivers to ever sit inside a Formula One car. I agree. And you just have to go back to that 2012 season in that massively underperforming Ferrari where he took it to within three points of a world title. That right there is Fernando Alonso in a nutshell. Now then, also,
2: uh, the reason we have been a little bit hard on Alonso, had it just been the retirement announcement, I think we would have just accepted that and gone, okay, uh, this is it. he's not in f one in twenty nineteen It's not a retirement announcement. He could come back at any time just like Bunce, uh just like button, but th- he did this leaving video, so he's done two things that have kind of got people's back up. firstly, he said in that leaving video, oh, you know f one I've loved you, I've lived this with you, but now you can know you are I'm chasing challenges that f one cannot provide, and you just go, no. No, that's not true because there is a challenge out there to win your third world title. It's just that you can't put yourself in the position to do it. The other one was obviously the claim that it's because it's poor racing. Uh, And I think that's what's got, got people's back, backs up. If he'd have just said, thank you very much. Thanks for all the memories. I'm off. I think people would have gone. Yeah, fair enough. I think we all get that. Have a, have a great, have a great life and stuff. But the way he did it, people are just, you know, just answering those points. Uh, The other thing is, I guess he's off to chase the Triple Crown. And for a moment, I just, I really want to compare this to the Texas sharpshooter fallacy, where you you shoot random bullets into a barn door and then you draw targets around them afterwards. If he's chasing his third world title, there's no way we're talking about the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown is a nonsense in so far as comparing it to any multiple Of F1 world titles. The the triple crown is nothing compared to that. Nobody who's got a chance of winning the F1 world championship is going to go, do you know what? Don't give me that championship winning seat because I need to go and complete the triple crown.
3: Spanners, that is the wrongest thing you've ever said on this show. Oh, oh, really? Agreed, agreed.
2: agreed, Are you telling me there is a single F1 driver who would turn down a Mercedes seat next season to go and chase the triple crown? Any motorsport driver, get out of town. Have they already won the world championship? You know,
3: it depends yeah, on who you. Yeah, yeah they, yes,
2: yes. They've okay. We'll do that. Uh, a three-time world champion has a championship-winning seat lined up, and he's going to turn it down to go and chase the triple crown.
3: Uh, uh-uh. uh. Yes, exactly. It, There's a ridiculous. reason. We've all got our hands up to argue with you. Here go and then as,
0: do it. All, all right, right that's fine. Man. Thank you. All right, so it's a simple question. And there's two different questions. The first question is what is the probability of someone winning the triple crown? Well, to which I can say, well, how many triple crown winners have we had in all of history? Oh, that's one. So, now on the other hand, let's compare it to how many Formula 1 champions we've had in history. Is it more than one? <laughs>
2: oh my god, right, yeah. Matt, are you okay. aware? Are you so, aware of the Guin- are you aware of the Guinness Book of Records where people set set a lot of very, very random world records just to be a world record holder. Where well, they go, ah, okay, well, I didn't win in that event. However, I have got the record for spinning 18 plates on my chin with three arms using only 17 Havana cigars rolled on the thighs of virgins. Please
0: allow me to finish. It had already been established as a thing to, uh, to win the Triple Crown that way. So you can't say it's a random accretion of events. It's been looked at through a specific lens and has been established as a particular kind of benchmark. And it is much more rare of a thing to do, obviously, than just simply winning the Formula One World Championship. But the question you pose is a different one, which is, would any current Formula One driver with a chance to win the championship leave to attain that? And I would say only if they had already beaten Michael Schumacher's record. (laughs) Good. That's that fair. would be my answer because you actually
2: No, that's fair. Kind of that's question. fair. That's a fair answer.
1: I personally think that it depends on how old they are. Because if they've won a world championship or come close to winning a world championship or like done Monaco, if they're over thirty five, why shouldn't they go and chase the triple? Because you can race at Indy five hundred till you're in your fifties, you can race at Le Mans till you're in your sixties. There's no time limit on it. Montoya will probably be trying to win the Triple Crown until he's in his late 50s because all he needs is a decent Le Mans drive and he'll get it so he's still looking at that he would have been on the grid with Porsche this year had Porsche carried on but it, it is it is you can't turn around and say that you know Formula One's a bigger deal than the Triple Crown yes it is yeah absolutely three, it is. 100%. No, no no it's three completely different disciplines of motor racing in completely different types of car completely different types of environment completely different risk levels completely different disciplines of athleticism okay you can't jake, say it. formula jake, one you can jake, be good jake at. jake
2: jake jake right the the difference is there is simply a higher standard in formula one than there is for any of those other disciplines and that's not up for debate so it's much easier to do those other things
1: i disagree because you're <laughs> taking a much more of a physical load in Indy. Di- Two hundred. There's, there's
2: more of a physical load for powerlifting. But the fact of the matter is there's more people trying to get into F1. There's more competitiveness. Therefore, the standard is higher sparkles.
3: You got to remember we are talking about the three most prestigious events in motorsporting history. Is the level of competition or the skill set in each of those three any, any higher or lower than the other? No. The point is they are all exceptional things and only the best get into them we say formula one is the pinnacle of motorsport and if you are good at formula one that's it you are amazing but there are people who are great at other forms of motorsport that that don't end up in f1 and find their career quite happily in agree. Or
0: the World
2: Endurance i Champions. agree with that
3: any less than people in formula one no it doesn't Oh, well, no, I
2: disagree with that bit. I agree that there's lots of fulfilling careers, but F1 is the pinnacle of motorsport and it has the highest standard of drivers.
3: It is a specific skill set that doesn't necessarily mean it's full of the best. Trumpets, last word on this before we move on.
0: Oh, thank you for that. This will be so much fun. Um, yeah, so regarding that higher standard, um, there are fewer seats in Formula One than in IndyCar. Therefore, the competition for those seats is higher. Yes. However, if one were to examine the differences between winners and second place between IndyCar and Formula One, what you would find is that IndyCar as a driver's series is infinitely more competitive. And at the top, it's not tense. It's not hundreds, but it's thousands that separates winners and losers on a regular basis with the addition of having to manage driving not just road courses, but ovals. So in terms of if we are looking at the top, then I'm going to have to say, I don't know. I think you could make an argument, certainly for IndyCar, having also some of the finest open wheel drivers uh, on the market. And you have to be that if you're going to win.
2: If you've been affected by any of the topics or debates that you've heard today, email spannersready at gmail.com. Look, it's what we do here. I love it. I love it when we have a difference of opinion. Join the conversation, as they say on cheesy radio shows. Uh, or we have a Facebook page. You can post there and just say, Spanners is an idiot. Or you can at f one or at SpannersReady and say, Hey, brother, we agree with you, brah. Thanks for fighting the power against those three idiots do all those things, get in touch, let's have a chat about it. Right, Chris, let's talk about the fallout of this, because essentially in Formula 1 we've had a lot of seasons where we've hung on to older drivers, a lot of the time because of their reputation, a lot of the time because of sponsors, a lot of the time because of paid driver deals. Here we have lost one of the stalwarts of Formula 1, absolutely no doubt, and it's left a big seat up for grabs in that it's a key seat. It is still a seat
3: people want. People will still want to drive for McLaren. What is going to happen? It will be fellow Spaniard. And actually, the, the man that he is idolized is the man he is replacing, which I think is quite funny. But Carlos Sainz making a sideways or slightly backwards step, you might argue, going to McLaren. It's an interesting uh, choice, isn't it? But on a multi-year uh, deal, apparently, with McLaren.
1: Yeah, I have intel that Carlos Sainz was given an offer to go to Red Bull, and he chose against it. He decided he did not want what? to return Wait a minute, to what? the Red Bull fold. That's huge. Are you sure? Absolutely, yeah. My source is uh, not identifiable, but... It is accurate. Apparently, Carlos Sainz was given the option to go to Red Bull, and he chose against it. He chose to go to McLaren on a multi-year deal. Now, that is shocking, considering the current political climate of Formula 1, but that is what he has chosen. So we
3: we kind of briefly discussed this during our live show at Buckmore Park, didn't we, about how there has been tension between the Verstappens and the Sainz's, and that is probably one of the key reasons that science has chosen to go
0: elsewhere. Since we're engaging in blatant speculation and rumor, and Jake, apparently you have an intelligence source, may I ask, am I the only one who's seen the occasional rumor about Newey going to Renault?
1: That is an interesting rumor. I haven't read anything about it, but considering where we currently are, that wouldn't surprise me, because he obviously has history. Red Bull is becoming so much more Team Verstappen- slash Marco, love, love, love. Oh, it's all about Verstappen. Apparently, my my sources also informed me that the reason Carlos Sainz did actually turn down Red Bull was because of that very possibility, the fact that basically becoming Team Verstappen, he did not want to be involved in that team. He wanted a chance to fight for the top spot of a team. So going to McLaren actually gives him a better chance of being a team leader. And he has actually been released uh, from his Red Bull contract
3: now and a part of the what the Wait, that's, huge. Yeah, he has. that's yeah, that's yeah massive. he has
2: been released so hang on a minute chris are you telling me right here now this is news to me you're saying signs isn't a red bull driver now
3: yeah because remember he was on loan to Renault, yeah. but still under a red bull uh contract there was an option to release him this september uh and mclaren had to uh. wait for that uh but the uh the ricardo decision to leave has given them kind of enough cause to pull the plug on him Early, as it were. Well, I mean, that's big
2: news in itself, isn't it? Basically, Red Bull have have essentially dumped signs. They've said that's a dead
1: end. No, Science has dumped Red Bull. Oh, okay. Yeah, he different. chose to get rid of them. Absolutely, he chose to get rid of them. And what this causes is a nightmare scenario for Red Bull because basically they either have to sign Gasly to the team or they have to bring in someone else. Sparkles. Why? If-
3: why is it a nightmare scenario for Pierre Gasly to come up to the team
1: because oh what oh, really happened I was it was a nightmare for Gasly to join because Gasly is talented enough to be at Red Bull alongside Verstappen and could probably beat him I'm more thinking in terms of the bigger picture for Red Bull because there's two teams on the Formula 1 grid and so if you promote Gasly from Toro Rosso now what you have effectively is Brendan Hartley staying on there has been suggestion that He's not good enough to stay at Toro Rosso, which is baloney. He's perfectly good enough to stay at Toro Rosso. Uh, And whoever would partner him, that's a bit of a minefield. And there's rumors flying around all over the place. They want to promote Dan Tictum. They can't promote Dan Tictum because even if he wins Formula 3, he won't have enough super license points. Plus, there's his ban, which makes the whole thing a little bit iffy anyway. Uh, There's rumors that Lando Norris would go into that seat on a temporary loan, akin to the whole sort of Carlos Sainz thing. I have a feeling Lando would go for that, considering how many points Gasly scored. But that's going to make political climate even more interesting. Or there's even rumours about Verne. No, Verne won't. Verne has a contract with Tejita. He won't be. he was just approached
3: by a uh, Formula One team uh, as an inquiry He said, do you have a contract for next year? Which he does. But there is a, a lot of uh, sort of hype around this Toro Rosso seat. The favourite does seem to be Lando Norris. Um, which is odd because I think six months ago we were saying oh, he could do with another year in F two, really couldn't he? And now it looks like he's going to get um an F one uh promotion. Um, but that could also be Stoffel Van Dorn who gets it as well if he gets let out of uh McLaren. Hey, did you guys catch the
2: at Buckmore Park they had a Lando Norris karting event the week after our event?
3: <laughs> really? <laughs> you, mean, you mean somebody did something like event?
2: I'm just kidding. I kid, I kid. It was a very good event. Uh, guys, uh, who who else do we do we fancy for that? Show? So you don't reckon Jev can come in there? And even if uh, jean eric Verne was a candidate, he wouldn't want to jump back into Toro Rosso. He'd want to be respected as a world champion from another series, Matt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I could see him maybe trying to break a contract for Mercedes or Ferrari, maybe even Renault. I mean, he is French, and they are spending lots of money. But unless it's a team he thinks he's going to win with, there's no way he's leaving where he is now. He's incredibly successful at WEC. He's incredibly successful at Formula E, and he is now a world champion. And so it's going to have to be the right offer for him to consider giving all that up. And uh, hats off to him. He has gone out and proved Red Bull. They were absolutely wrong to drop him like they did.
3: 100% agree with you, Matt. Big respect for John O'Reilly and what he's been doing um, Wait this year. Wait a minute, but Wait some, a minute um, Sparkles. Okay. No. You're only saying that
2: because you did a top ten Formula E drivers I- thing, and you put John Eckren at the top, and then you're all happy that John Eckren then quote tweeted you and said, "Oh yes, I completely agree
3: with this guy who's saying I'm the best ever." Okay, <laughs> I already put him in my top ten, and I will just let me give you this stat: four weeks, three different series, three wins, and one podium. Enough.
0: burrow.com slash a cast
3: said anyway let's finish up on this Toro Rosso thing because we've got to remember the key strategy uh the the queen in in this game of chess being played by Toro Rosso and McLaren is James Key and if McLaren were to loan a driver to Toro Rosso, will they get James Key in return it could be Norris it could be Van Dorn apparently um and Neil was saying and. uh uh, group chat wasn't he that apparently Franz Toss is quite a big fan of Stoffel Van Dorn but Van Dorn also has options at Sauber the Fred Vasseur team that won him a, an, an ART GP2 title although it seems like there are, is already a backlog of drivers uh, around there um, but he, he could be he could be out of Formula One altogether there have been some comments that seem to defend Van Dorn but then also leave him out in the cold a little bit. Maybe Esteban Ocon's going to end up getting the seat at McLaren because Mercedes need to find somewhere ah, for him. Now then, a whole smash Now then, on
2: there. That is a whole story in itself. I'm going to look between sparkles and trumpets to see who wants to talk about Ocon uh, out of you guys. Oh, it's actually Jake. Well, let's have Jake and then sparkles. But basically, Ocon being a Mercedes driver, there's a lot going on under the surface and
1: Toto Wolf seems to be the driving force behind that. I think it very much depends on who Lawrence Stroll wants to keep in the second car at uh, Force Stroll. Because uh, there's rumours going around that Lance will be in the car in time for Spa. If that's the case, you've got to ditch two very comfortable drivers in a very strong team who know everything about that team. Perez, who's brilliant. Ocon, who's brilliant. How do you ditch a brilliant driver and find a decent seat for him? Now, the automatic decision would be to swap Stroll for whoever they replace, which means that Ocon might have a safer chance at Williams because of the Mercedes link. But Toto Wolff may want to keep Ocon at Force India because it's almost near, very nearly a Mercedes B team. So where does that leave Perez? Does he go to Williams? Technically, that could work for Williams because he does bring masses of Mexican dollars. But I hear tell that Haas wants him because he's a top North American racing driver. So how is that going to work long term? Jake, you've been talking for
2: ages. Let's hear from Sparkles. As much as I hate him equally to how much I hate you after a full day of
3: commentary. Force India are needing money, you know, they'll want to keep uh, Perez. But there were teams saying they didn't want to help out Force India because they didn't want it to become a Mercedes-B team, which would very much suggest that now that they are going to come out of administration at the end of the month, properly and fully, that Mercedes are going to have closer links within the team. But then who who has got more power at play here, Mercedes or the investors? But Matt, to be fair, Mercedes-B team, that makes sense.
2: Red Bull have one. Ferrari have well, like seven.
0: It, it kind of does, except for I don't know. This word irony keeps on rocketing around in my head. Do we all remember back at the beginning of the season when Williams was a team that refused to let Force India get an early delivery of their prize money? And who is it that's been complaining about everyone being a B team to the top two manufacturers? And yet, once Force India come out of administration, somehow Williams <laughs> seems to have. Absolutely engineered the outcome they were seeking least, which is basically they will both be enthralled vassal states to the great Lord Mercedes and they're going to get rid of their they're going to buy gearboxes and it's all done and over with. And it's just it's just funny how things work out like that sometimes, isn't it, Jake?
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, I I watched the Williams movie again recently and the way they are handling this whole merry-go-round scenario of the silly season is totally Williams. You know, they are the last bastions, the last independents on the grid. Everybody else has a higher political agenda with another team or another big sponsor. Williams is the only team that are basically going it alone, doing it their own way. And I love them for that. And actually ditching Lance Stroll gives them an opportunity to take back the control of their own entity. Now, does that give them a chance to bring in George Russell and maybe have Sorokin because there's a little bit of financial stability there? I would love to see a Sorokin-George Russell team next year because I have a feeling that could actually make progress to bring Williams back a little further. Sorokin's kind of been in stroll shadow. He doesn't have to be anymore. I'd love to see Sorokin and Russell actually making progress with Williams and bringing them back to where they should be. Well, i tell you what, Matt,
2: we're going to find out a lot about Sirotkin next season, assuming Stroll is going to Force India. And we'll talk about Force India in a second, because when is Stroll going to Force India? But assuming he is, we've got Sirotkin uh, possibly up against uh, Kubica, Kubica, uh, halfway through the season because he is the reserve driver. And uh, listening to the F1 podcast interview with Robert Kubica, he certainly rates himself above those two guys. Um, but we're going to see Sorokin possibly up, up against George Russell, who Mercedes certainly think is a great talent. And then at the same time, we may well see uh, Stroll up against Perez. So we're going to suddenly answer all the questions we've had about Williams drivers this season.
0: Well, I don't think uh, about the Williams driver that we had questions about. I don't think too many people have questions about Stroll anymore.
1: I'd like to make a bold suggestion for Williams in that for the second half of the season, now that Stroll is gone, they sh- if, if he's going to go, we still don't know if he's going to join Force India. but if he does, they should put Kubica in the car for the rest of the season. Now, here's my argument. It's the ultimate way to assess whether or not he is ready yep. because you've only got to deal with him for three months. Now, after the three months, you can say, OK, Robert, it was fun. It was great. Well done for getting back in the car, but you're not ready to go for a full time season till at least you've given him a chance. You've given that story a completion. Yeah. That way he's achieved what he's achieved. The fans get what they want. Williams get the publicity from it and hopefully a bit more money thrown at them as well because they're the heroes of the hour. They can go to 2019 back to plan A and at least then you've given Kubica a chance. If he manages to succeed, then they're the heroes anyway. They've
2: won. They've done the right thing. Now, it's tempting to think of Robert Kubica as this kid who came into Formula One, impressed, then he had an accident, and now he's been fighting his way back, and will he get his big chance again? Now, hang on a minute. Robert Kubica is the same age as Lewis Hamilton. Even despite his injuries, he's had massive experience in motorsport. He's gone off and done a lot of other motorsports. He's been doing motorsports that allow him to continue with his limitations while he has been improving, and that's his words. So I don't think Williams need to protect. Robert Kubica, I think they need to ask him honestly, as a grown, mature man with a lot of talent, do you want this shot? If he fails, it's on him. And you're right, it's only three months. So I don't think there's this kind of like, oh, we don't want to expose him. It's almost like we don't want to ruin the myth of Robert Kubica. We won't. If he comes back to Formula One and he doesn't do well, it's because he had an injury and he couldn't get back. That doesn't tarnish how good he was in the before time. All right, Chris, Tell me more about Force India, because you've put it in the notes. So I, I assume there's some developments. Tell me what's going to happen and reveal to me what's going to happen in Spa and who's going to be driving.
3: Uh, well, I can't say who's going to be driving. And I would have thought that we'd have got some answers to the, whether these rumours so, about It's so close. To, Yeah, the driver swap happening immediately, apparently, but in five days time, they're going to be out there for FP1. So I guess we'll see how that one pans out over the course of this week. But in terms of the car, uh, they are going to receive an immediate upgrade package, apparently worth half a second a lap. Uh, If not, it will come at Monza, but 99% it will happen uh, at uh, Spa and they're going to receive immediate funding and plus a little
1: bit more at the end of the month once the move out of administration is complete. So I think it's going to stay pretty much as it is for a while. I'd like to think that Stroll's going to get into the car immediately. And you'd think, well, Lawrence Stroll owns the team, so of course he will. But there's a very good point that's been made on the chat uh, by... Uh, artemy x who says i don't think stroll is already gone they'll probably wait till 2019 at this point there's a lot of contracts that may not be as easy to break as everyone imagines money i have a feeling that yeah well money is going to be the deciding factor here and lawrence obviously holds the keys to the team now but at the same time do you risk putting lance into a car he doesn't know and looking even more embarrassing i think you maybe want to keep Perez and ocon to finish the season and then give lance the chance to step up maybe i'm just being a little bit realistic i don't know uh, Matt, before,
2: sorry, Matt, before I go to you, let's just, uh, look at what okay. the chat room's saying. Uh, Artemy X, over the race, it's hard to say, but he's at least as good when nothing's wrong, but everything keeps being wrong. I think he's talking about Kubica, is he there? Uh, Arsarotkin, Han- oh, Hansink, it seems that, uh, WMR needs one's money above all. Will Kubica bring that? He does bring some sponsorship, doesn't he? Uh, let's see, Sassy Matt Mondal, but Stroll, go away and say Kubica didn't help like he did to Massa. Uh Someone's asking whether Bradley Philpot has a super license. I don't think so, but he did get a class win at the VLN at the Nordschleife. So congratulations to Bradley Philpot. He's had a L of a season. Really, really glad for him. Uh And I think that's it for now, Matt. So you continue your point.
0: Congratulations. You almost managed to make me forget it with that lengthy recitation, but I've held on to it with the last of my fingernails here. And First of all, I have to say, I do like you, you pronounce, uh, Jake, the word Lance, Lance, Lance the Chance, and that, that I like that that rhymes. That could be like a nickname if he could actually drive anything. But more to the point, you were like, oh, I don't know if putting him in the car and having him do worse would be embarrassing. I don't think you get the fact that these people are beyond embarrassment no matter what they do. He's not going to be embarrassed by his performance because if his performance is poor, it is absolutely 100% unequivocally Somebody else's fault.
1: Yeah, I I guess you're right. I mean, I'm just looking at sort of ancient history from when Massa had his injury in 2009 at Ferrari, and then mid season, Fisichella got a second place at Sparta Raikkonen, and then the next race he was in a Ferrari and was pathetic for the rest of the season. And Fisichella's not a bad racing driver. So. I wonder, do they want that on their conscience? But when Lawrence owns the team, it probably doesn't make a difference. You're right. Hey, Sparkles, do you remember in the before time, back in the long, long
3: ago, I asked you about Force India? Oh, yeah. Wasn't that about 10 years ago or something like that? No one remembers. <laughs> no. Uh, just to kind of finish up on that point then, actually, about these upgrades. Um, the target for them is to try and... Uh, get rid of uh, the issues that they had early on in the season where they were falling behind on development make because- up for lance <laughs> because of poor wind tunnel to track correlation i know that's something you find incredibly interesting matt we had a whole field day with that on red bull last year
0: yeah we did yeah like, was- you know you know who is bringing an upgrade uh floor i believe renault has a new floor is that not true
3: uh yeah that's actually the next topic on the agenda <laughs> Oh, in Super. that case, I, I don't know, we haven't had
2: a bumper for a while. Is that the sort of thing, like, a smart little podcast should do? Hi, everyone, and welcome to Radio Mist Apex. Lots of stuff coming up for you today. Chris, Rainbow Sparkles will give opinions that are wrong, and Matt Trumpets will give correct opinions that take four hours. Now, let's talk about Renault after listening to Beyoncé. No, there's no Beyoncé. You just make the point, Chris.
3: Uh, But now a word from our sponsors. It's me.
2: (laughs) I tell you what, we've got a really good sponsor next week, Chris. You know who it is. And it's really relevant. And it's the sort of thing that we would have talked about anyway. And I'm so excited.
3: Oh, I cannot wait for that. Are you trying to (laughs) lure me back on for the spa show now? I am. Get on for spa.
2: Uh, Autosport. Come on. They're they're no missed apex, are they? All right. Tell me about Renault.
3: Okay. So uh, let's pick up with the floor because matt's already uh, brought it up they will have a new floor plus some other aero parts that are aimed to also be used for sorry 20-
2: sorry hansik has just said is the sponsor compression, <laughs> compression socks <laughs> <laughs> no it's not no shut up people who listen to the legal show which by the way was really good i listened back i really enjoyed that one sorry chris you carry on the floor the floor
3: it was a fantastic show uh yeah so a new floor for uh spa plus some other aero parts that are aimed at uh, 2019 as well um so i think for the rest of the season you, you will see upgrades that don't really affect the front wing because they're all being changed next season and all the development is going to be further back but why haven't we seen more development from Renault? uh they have put it down to a lack of efficiency from uh their, the actual endstone team um there was a fantastic Couple of articles um, on Autosport about this, about how the staff has uh, nearly doubled or is uh, going to double by the end of the year. At the moment, they're up to 700 staff from 470 odd uh, at the Henstone team, which has hurt the production of, of parts. And any developments that they uh, have made have been delayed, and any upgrades that end up making it onto the car only keep them just about in the same development pace as the likes of Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. So they're increasing, but the others are increasing at a very similar rate and they're not actually closing that gap. Trumpets, you always have things to say about Renault.
0: Yeah, well, this is really interesting and I'm going to go back and touch on the Nui rumors. If they are really investing that kind of money, And if, indeed, they have managed or might potentially manage to tempt him away from Red Bull, then you are talking about something very, very, very different uh, coming up for the new set of regulations. And that might even be what they were talking about, not even for between 2019 and 2021, but from 2021 forwards. He's been at Red Bull a long time. He was formerly at McLaren till they foolishly failed to meet some minor demand of his that made him irritable. And then Red Bull scooped him up. And I'm just going to wonder, like, you know, he had stepped away. He wanted to design boats and stuff. And suddenly Red Bull wasn't winning. And suddenly he was back working full time on the team. And I just kind of wonder if maybe, maybe we're about to have another one of those seminal ground shifts.
1: You you, you touched on that point, actually, because I thought Adrian Newey was retired. Last I heard, he was retired. Why is he suddenly working again? I don't get it. I don't understand. Why is it these people can retire? Alonso isn't actually technically retiring, is he? He's supposed to come back in twenty nineteen. Where I'm still waiting for Mika Hakkinen to come back, and he hasn't done that yet.
0: Uh, sad sparkles. Tell us the truth. What's going to happen?
1: I, I I don't know. There's no,
3: <laughs> no one really knows, do they? Like we we can sit here and and try and guess what's going to happen, but I, I think even... no. Let's not do that. Let's move on
2: to the next topic, which is a Matt Trumpets topic because Matt we've we've not heard from you much this episode so far. The fans want you and I know you have things to say about America.
0: America! I do indeed yeah I didn't really spend a lot of time on Twitter this week because I was on family vacation.
2: Wait well how did you argue with people who have slightly different political opinions to you?
0: Uh, I just sat around and agreed with my family all the time. It was much more fun. I, I actually had a lot of human interaction this week. L- human less internet. interaction.
2: Sounds uh, overrated, but
0: you carry on. I did get an interesting tweet from a friend of mine who's not a Formula One person about Liberty State Park. Now, for those of you who don't know, it's located in New Jersey. There's a golf course right on the edge of it that's very fancy and expensive. Um and they wanted to build into the into the park and the park includes the Statue of Liberty and all those good things, and it just turned up in Bloomberg recently that a new proposal has has come about for wait 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 a Formula One racetrack with a hundred thousand seat grandstand and better yet fields for international cricket matches. Go figure! Wait wait
2: wait 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 stop! Wait what? Stop! Yep no.
0: I'm so not kidding you. This is literally reported in actual newspaper.
2: This Skype connection has clearly gone wrong. There's two things wrong with that. Firstly, let's start with cricket. Why are Americans suddenly interested in cricket? Uh, And the second thing is, we always assumed a a New York or a New Jersey Grand Prix would be a street circuit. Did you just say that it was going to be a stadium? Because I wasn't really listening.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This will be a purpose-built racing track with a 100,000-seat grandstand and, as I said, field for international cricket matches, which actually they play across the street from me as well. So, you know, we, we do have people who play cricket here. It's hard for you to believe, and I do like to make fun of it. The best is when they play softball and cricket at the same time in the same park. The fear I
2: have, Jake, is that cricket will confuse and anger the Americans to the point they start uh, an apocalypse.
1: I'm going to make the point that every single person is thinking at this point. (laughs) Where is the market for this? Where is the target audience for this? There is barely an argument to keep the Formula One Grand Prix at Austin. They keep on saying, oh, well, numbers are low or we're trying to get the Americans into Formula One. They don't really care about Formula One. Matt Trumpets is the biggest American fan of Formula One on uh, the planet, even more so than Chase Carey. So how is it legitimately possible that this company has said, yeah, there's a great market for this racetrack and cricket pitches wait a in minute. America? We're being, are they mental?
2: We're being culturally you... insensitive. If you look into the chat room, Kedemath uh, ER is saying, Spanish, you forgot that New Jersey has a lot of Indians and they will
0: watch cricket. A lot of Southeast Asians live in the area and they will South Asians, South Asians, careful, steady South Asians. Okay. If I misstated that, um, the, there are a lot of cricket teams and matches in the New York city area. And I would imagine in New Jersey as well, but more to the point, it's an inter, they're talking about international matches. So if, if Australia plays England in New Jersey, would you watch that on television? Especially if the New York City skyline was in the background? Why, yes, yes, you would. And that makes no! it a popular thing. But here, there is a bit of a catch to this. The first catch is almost all of the racetrack will be on private land, but they need to get some parkland in order to make this proposal a reality. And uh, Tom Considine, who's a banking and insurance commissioner, uh, is is leading spokesperson for the consortium of himself, an investment bank, and quote, some people with long affinity in motorsports. So that sounds a bit dodgy to me. But more to the point, um, a lot of developers have been trying to get their hands on this parkland for quite some time. And the mayor of Jersey City, where said park is located, Uh, Stephen Fullop is basically said uh, the project's noise and traffic would overwhelm surrounding neighborhoods, and it's a non starter as far as he is concerned. So, although it's fun to talk about and it's up there somewhere, unless the state of New Jersey is going to sign off on funding the thing, much like Texas did with the Circuit of the Americas, I got to say, realistically, it does not have, uh, well, you know what? Yeah. That kind of.
2: Russell Coburn in the chat room says cricket only makes sense if you're huffing glue. Like uh, a lot of glue. And, and that's fair. As a lifelong fan of cricket, I sympathise with that. Sushma Mondal says, what's going on today with the sounds and laughing? Uh, Jake is on. Is Sorry, is this your first rodeo? Uh, <laughs> he does say, it's enjoyable though. We both love and hate Jake in exactly the same measure. And uh, <laughs> Kedath, Kedonath says, Matt, also no one tours Pakistan these days, stating security. So Pakistan play their home series in Saja. I'm assuming that's India. So they could as well play in New Jersey. So
3: that's all fair point. Sparkles. Just in your little explanation there, Matt, I was listing off in my head all the issues that they are facing immediately and they've only got a proposal in at the moment. So, yeah, like you say, it doesn't really sound like it's going to happen. I think like less than 1% of proposals ever made for these kind of things actually end up going ahead anyway and also it doesn't even matter where it is if the new york skyline was in the background i will never watch cricket
1: this sounds even more bizarre than that proposal a few years ago to bring formula one racing to the streets of beirut seriously never gonna happen i tell you what is gonna happen though
2: we are taking formula one to the streets of near the streets of Belgium. Like near the streets. I assume there are some streets near Spa Francachon. I I don't I don't actually know. I think there's a river. I believe that is what one of the corners is named after. Oh, no, actually, it's not technically called Eau Rouge. Eau Rouge is like the old corner with it. Shut up. No one cares. That's why we that's what we call it. It's like Brundle objecting to Tifosi. It means something different now to us. It doesn't just mean fans in Italian. We know it as something else. We mean it as fanatic Ferrari fans. Chris, are you going to give us a preview of Belgium or what?
3: Uh, I can do. There are streets very near the track, actually. If you just go beyond where Le Com is, uh, there's a little gate that actually leads onto the roads that made up the old, old Spa francorchamps circuit. Uh, so it's a nice little tidbit. And perhaps if you're going there, you can go and visit it yourself. But in terms of a Grand Prix preview, this is going to be a real interesting one because there's been all this talk about Ferrari's power unit gains. Well, we're finally going to get some answers in these next two races. Spa and Monza very much power circuits. So it's going to be the real test to see if they are now the engine benchmark of Formula One. I have to say that in the chat room
2: there, uh, Jordan, uh, Duran Jordan has said Spa has roads. Yeah, but where we're going, we don't need any roads. Yes! Got that line in. Sweet. I rule. Continue saying things. I wasn't listening. I'm sure it's fascinating.
3: Oh no, absolutely, and I mean it's a <laughs> it's a track of uh, two halves, really. Um, you know we all know it's got the very fast and uh, high speed sectors one and three, middle sector. It's all about the twisty stuff. So Red Bull usually come here, take a little bit of wing off, and still dominate the middle sector and lose time in the first and the thirds. But how how much progress on the engine side has Renault made? Uh, is going to be a good question that we'll get to answer as well. And how much of Red Bull n- not made in
1: comparison because they've been apparently missing out on upgrades it's about time for a wet belgian grand prix isn't it i mean we have wet sessions over the course of the weekend like a wet thursday or a wet friday afternoon or the morning of qualifying is always but i think it's about time we had a wet belgian grand prix mind you we're talking in 2018 so if it rains we're going to start the race behind a safety car and not actually have any wet running despite the fact we have wet tires so why not just do it in the dry that's me being pessimistic again
0: Well, I don't know. It kind of livened up Hockenheim a little bit. The rain did, didn't it? It did. To be fair, it did. You know, for a good 90
1: seconds, it did spice things up.
0: Yeah, at least until Vettel drove into a wall. But that's a separate story for another time. He shouldn't have Uh, done that. I'll tell you who, you know who, you know who the biggest question mark is for me is actually Haas. I'm going to be very interested to see what they turn up with because they did skip the last test in Hungary. They do seem to be kind of happy and I can only wait to see what sort of carnage Grosjean inflicts on the rest of the field at the start.
3: <laughs> see, there's a a good argument to suggest in a load of technical data that Haas is in fact the fourth quickest car ahead of Renault. And really it's been the operational uh, aspects yeah, that have let man. them and, and you know, that's why Renault are ahead of them. Uh, these next two races could be really important for them, especially if, Uh, Renault have been lacking updates that we've been talking about and, uh, you know, on a power loss compared to uh, a Ferrari powered Haas. These next two races could be really crucial for them.
0: Okay, and if we're going to look at other interesting things, which I agree with you there, shockingly enough, um, it would be to compare Red Bull's performance on a track like this to itself and then look at Renault's performance on a track like this to itself from an earlier race and, and see if I think it might be possible to start judging whether or not they really are being hobbled in the way they claim by Renault since they they announced that they had uh, found a new a new companion and they were going to be moving out.
3: And the the fact that they're using different fuel from Renault as well, which I think we brought up a few shows ago, and I still can't get my head around why they do that jake sanson I, mean,
1: I was just gonna say i was talking earlier about it being a wet belgian grand prix and how nice it would be i have just checked the met office weather forecast for the weekend and we are going to get rain on saturday at 5 p.m so don't get your hopes up it's gonna be absolutely awful if it does rain uh
3: we have to go back to hungary qualifying and how suddenly Red Bull and Ferrari, having looked so good on Friday, were suddenly nowhere because of the different conditions and how their two cars work against a car like the Mercedes in um, the rain. So it could a uh, rain could favour Mercedes quite heavily, uh, or uh, perhaps not if things are working differently. There's a lot of question marks, but I think Mercedes will probably be wanting it to be wet.
0: Yes, the chat room uh, Rob Graham points out rather aptly. Did you know it can rain on part of the track and dry on others? If they mention this during the race or any part of the weekend, you must drink a lot.
2: And uh, I'm also being called up by someone who sent me an email during the live stream. Actually, really appreciate that. Apparently, I've seriously misjudged the political situation between Pakistan and India. And Pakistan would definitely not be playing a cricket match in India. Thank you very much for educating me on that matter. Guys, the show is basically over. So there's a few things to do. Matt presumably has comment of the week, but to give him time to do that, I'm going to say, Chris, you are a man on the move, aren't you? You're always saying to me, oh, I'm very busy uh, for the thing. I can't tell you until 30 seconds before the podcast whether I can turn up. So presumably you're doing something fantastic when Missed Apex is your very last desperation choice. If no other pretty girls ask you out you'll go out with the unattractive girl that is Miss Apex
3: no no you're 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 great darling um and i i really like spending time with you it's just that you know there are these these other things that come up and they have these this thing called money as well no it's uh it, it's uh, it's a lot of other things you know there could be um, some auto sport work next weekend um i'll uh, know at some point during uh the week because of course i've been helping out uh with uh, the MotoGP gp coverage for autosport and motorsport.com so that that could be happening uh next weekend uh, amongst other a lot of other things as well I'm supposed to be going to volunteer in a few weeks as well so darren rusk is basically saying you're saying it's not you it's me where can
2: people find you on social media uh, you can find me on twitter at c underscore Uh, Let's go to Jake Sanson. Jake, I've spent the whole day commentating with you. You are an absolutely fantastic commentator. It's a series where I have been the lead commentator of late. But when you're there, I really don't need to do anything. Kind of feel guilty picking up the check because you are so on it. You're completely in your element calling races.
1: That's very kind of you. I've had a very busy last few weeks, actually. My next major task coming up, other than the British Championships, I'm going to be commentating for is going out to Europe. For the FIA karting, we have two World Championships coming up for KZ in Belgium in Genk, uh, which is, uh, I think, the weekend of the Italian Grand Prix. And then at the end of September, we go to Christianstad for the FIA World Championships, which is where Lando Norris won world karting. Verstappen won there, Hamilton won there, Vettel won there, all the big daddies win there. My task for those two weekends is to sit down and have a conversation which can be recorded with three big names uh, for the Miss Apex podcast, if I could do so. They are, namely, Nico Rosberg, he will be there. Juan Pablo Montoya, he will be there. Felipe Massa, he will be there. So I'm going to try and grab those for you if you guys are all interested. Uh Jake, you
2: also have some Formula One employment in that you do the circuit guides
1: for Force India and they're good. Uh, Yeah, apparently Sergio Perez quite likes watching them. I didn't actually realise that until uh, the media exec guy at Force India told me, oh, Sergio, loved the one you did at Hockenheim. I'm like, oh, oh, thank you, Sergio. Uh, So hopefully uh, I'm going to hang out at Force India at some point and try and get some content there. Stop waffling on. Tell people where to find you on the internet. At Jake Sanson on Twitter and Facebook, on Instagram, at Jake Sanson Official.
3: Jake, were you uh, slightly concerned when Force India went into administration? <laughs> do we still making,
1: were you still making videos for them during that period? Good question. Uh, I was still making videos for them at that point. I was told not to worry. Everything will sort itself out. Don't panic. Uh, and it all worked out for the best. So clearly they obviously had some game plan I wasn't aware of at the time. So good to see that everything was saved. Uh, game plan. I'll see what you did
0: there. Yeah, you were yeah,
1: brilliant.
2: Pretty cryptic. Let's go on to Old Man Trumpets. You don't say nothing, but you must know something, Trumpets. What are you up to?
0: Well, Al? um, let's see. What am I up to? I'm almost done with all of my family vacationing.
2: No one cares about that.
0: Uh, right. Okay. I'll move on to potential shows. We're working on a tech time, hopefully, to get recorded. And we absolutely out the door for care those, about really? that. And
2: by the way, I was speaking yeah. to Carter on Tuesday. Are you are you going to join me, yeah. Matt, Matthew Carter? I- I
0: am going to join you now that we've decided that the 22nd is indeed Tuesday, yes. Sorry, I got that. My admin isn't amazing. Thanks uh, a lot. You're a busy man. This is okay. I had a feeling it would turn out that way, but yes. And uh, so the Tech Time, the Carter thing, this will all be very, very exciting. And beyond that, I think I have a comment of the week. Excellent. Also, before you go to comment of the week, we've got
2: right. the spa... Grand Prix. So we'll be doing our normal race review at 8pm on Sunday UK time. And then on the Tuesday after that, we're going to be talking to Joe Sayward. We haven't spoken to him for a while. Well, I have because I recorded his live show, but he's not been on Miss Apex for a little while. So he'll be on after Spa, I think. And then straight after that, it's Monza. So we're right back into the thick of not only Formula One action, but also missed Apex action. All of that gives me enough time to find this button. Comment the
0: Lay it on me, trumpets. Well, it, it, it's, this is a tough one. I think there's a lot of competition out there because it's summer break, and so people are feeling like there may be opportunities that were normally closed off. But we start with Mark Greenhow. The thing he, Alonzo, can predict is that he's got absolutely no chance of finishing in the top five. Christopher Fonseca, who is not supposed to be competing, says in Alonzo's defense, him leaving F1 this year was incredibly predictable.
2: Yeah, true. Um, He's yeah, not barred no, anymore, no, by the way.
0: No, no. Uh, Andy Whitney is in with, oh, God, horrible image, quote, tainted in same thought as Flavio. Who's your winner, buddy? Uh, I'm not there yet. Uh, oh. Race control sparkles to serve one race ban and three points on super license for driving with an expired meme. <laughs> Uh, Bruce Wayne, I'm very confident. In my prediction that Red Bull and McLaren will have, in fact, two drivers next season. You heard it here. First, people, EMH2212, smart podcasts have bumpers, if only to withstand crashing. <laughs> it's true. Cricket is named after the thing you hear while people are playing it by Bruce Wayne, but I think the winner really has to be Hansink with Is It Compression Socks?
2: Oh, man, that probably does have to be the winner. Well done, Hansink. <laughs> you are the winner of. Comment of the week next time you hear us on this feed it will be after the Belgian Grand Prix enjoy it and remember that wounds heal chicks dig scars and glory lasts forever this was Missed Apex News thanks Sparkles yeah. the show running this week was 100% done by Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens thanks for putting that together Chris
3: Ah, oh, no worries man Always it out.
2: Hashtag Team Map. Thanks for helping. So oh, yeah. yeah. So, so tell me, what comments have made your podcast show real? Like, what is the point that you've made on Miss Apex that you think is so insightful that you feel that it would lead to further employment? <laughs> because, honestly, <laughs> I sit here going, the only reason you're on the show is to give us a very easy punching bag for us to express our points. It's like you go out of your way to say the most wrong
3: thing you can like that triple crown conversation we just had just because you disagree with me spanners does not make it wrong cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue
2: also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com planning for your next trip